If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 19. I love those old, I love those old hymns of the faith. I thought about it as we were singing that last one. Two, two songs that you can sing nearly anywhere in any kind of audience, and you'll have folks singing along with you, are Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art. I've seen it happen before. When folks start singing those songs, God has used those two songs mightily um, to touch people's heart and life. And um, Unfortunately, it's going to leave a lot of folks without excuse one day because they've been singing the truth but not living in that truth, and um, that takes away their excuse that they didn't know any better. They've heard the truth proclaimed in song. Um, one prayer request that I promised that I would mention, Kenzel and them have a family reunion today, and um, he had to leave after a men's meeting, but Jackie's had some um, test results that came back not so good, and they're going to have to do some more testing there. And um, she, he, didn't, he said, she don't even want me to tell anybody, but I want folks to be praying, so I'll just let her get mad at me. But pray for, pray for Kenzel's wife, Jackie, um, that, that all of her future tests come back okay and that nothing major is needed there. Um, and do pray for those young people going away from camp. I'm not going to harp on this. I'm going to preach in a minute. But listen, I've seen kids' lives change forever at camp. I've seen people, when you separate them from the world for a few days and, and, and constantly pour into them a spiritual diet and a spiritual mindset, um, it, can, it can radically change your life. And I've seen God call preachers out of camp situ- situations and just, um, just turn kids' lives around from that point forward. So pray that they have a very spiritually productive week this week. Um, I'm going to get back to this Vice and Virtue series. We took a, we took a few weeks off. Um, I, I missed one Sunday, and then we had Father's Day, and I took a week off for that. But when we talk about Vice and Virtue, some people would call it seven deadly sins, or seven cardinal virtues, something Catholic Church came with, uh, up with a long, long time ago. I'm not sure I'm following their list verbatim. I haven't really looked it up in a long time. Um, there's some variation when you look up those seven deadly sins and, and seven cardinal virtues. People um, view things a little bit differently and they use different names. So I'm not trying to follow that very strictly. But when you talk about vice and virtue, vice is ultimately the root of all sinful fruit. Now we, we can make a sin list a mile long. We can talk about all kinds of sins. But ultimately most of the sins that we talk about are fruit of something that's going on in the heart. Something deeper. Um, it's the root of the problem. We can pluck that fruit all day long, but if we don't deal with the root of it, the fruit will keep coming back and it'll keep being rotten fruit. So vices are basically the roots of everything that's sinful in our life. And then virtues are the roots of everything that's righteous, that's good. It, it is the source of the righteous fruit in our life. So you can, you can keep going back and plucking the fruit off the trees or, or analyzing the fruit on the trees. And if it's got a good root, and this is said all through the Gospels. Jesus said, make the, make the root good, and the fruit will be good. Um, and if, if the root is bad, the only thing that you can do with that root is lay the axe to it. Get it out of the way. Get the root out and replant that virtue in your life. So here's what we've talked about so far. I, I believe the, the vice of all vices is pride. I believe all sin ultimately can be traced back to pride in our lives. So the first vice that we talked about was pride. And the antithesis of pride is humility. So we, if you want to root out, and that's a battle for us from here until Jesus comes. Because uh, every time you think you got a handle on pride, that's evidence that you don't. <laughs> um, because pride don't like to recognize that it is there. Um, but that's a battle for all of us. We have to constantly check ourselves. Humility comes from recognizing um, who we are in, in the sight of God, humbling ourselves in the sight of God, recognizing His sovereignty over our lives. Um, but pride is the rotten root, and, um, and humility is the good root. Um, then we talked about greed and generosity. 
Um, the Bible talked to us about people that just try to heap up and heap up and heap up, but it leads them to poverty. And then there are people that give away, and it leads them to prosperity. Now, that's not necessarily poverty in the monetary sense or prosperity in the monetary sense. But the most generous people in the world are the happiest people in the world. And sometimes the greediest people in the world are the most unhappy people in the world. And that's not a matter of how much you give. It's not a matter of how much money you have or how much money you give away. Because poor people can be greedy and rich people can be generous and vice versa. You can swap both tables either way you want to go. It's not a matter of how much is involved. It's the mindset of greed and the mindset of generosity. This one may be a little bit harder for you, but envy and joy. We talked about envy. Um, and envy is simply this, that, you, that you're never satisfied with what you have, and you're always envious of what other people have, which prevents you from rejoicing in your own blessings, and it prevents you from jo- rejoicing in their blessings. And I had a hard time coming up, and, and if you ever stumble across one, I would like to hear it. But give, a, give me a dictionary word that is the exact opposite of envy, and it's, it's very, very difficult to find. Um, and I could have used all kind of words, kindness and love and all that, but, but the, the thing that I thought about when we were studying envy is that the one thing envy really robs us of is joy. It robs us of joy. It robs us of the joy of enjoying our own blessings, And it robs us of the joy of seeing other people blessed. And so if we cultivate joy, joy for what God gives us, joy for what God gives others, um, I think that we can root out that vice of envy and replant it with joy in our lives. And then last we talked about gluttony and temperance. Gluttony is not just about food. Gluttony is an appetite for anything physical, fleshly, that is out of control. God gives us things in this life to enjoy. Food, money recreation, there are all kinds of things that God gives us in life to enjoy. Um, But gluttony is when we begin to worship those gifts more than we worship the God who gave those gifts, and we let that appetite just run out of control. And it it can be food, but it can also be entertainment. It can be extravagance. You can be a glutton in any number of ways. But the answer for gluttony is temperance, moderation. We can do most anything we want to do and do it in moderation, and it's not sinful at all. Um, but when you take it outside of that context of moderation and become gluttons, that's when it becomes sinful, when it becomes idolatrous um, in our lives. Today, I'm, not, I'm trying to stick with this and just draw a verse from Proverbs and use it as a, as a um, kind of as a jumping off point. But look with me at Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11, and we'll consider the fifth vice and the fifth virtue today. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, it says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. I'm going to read it again in the New Living Translation. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. I think that's a good translation. King James often used some words that we don't use as much anymore, so just putting it down in a, a, a more modern language helps us wrap our mind around a little better. Now, if you, look, if you ever look at a list of the seven deadly sins or the seven cardinal virtues, a lot of times instead of seeing anger, you're going to see wrath or malice in its place. And here's why I'm not going to use wrath or malice, because very few of us ever, th- very few of us ever feel like we're guilty of wrath or malice. We almost let those words take us off the hook. But, you know, I've thought about it all week as I've studied and and prepared for this message. Wrath and malice really have a root, and that root is anger. 
Um, a person's not going to be full of wrath or full of maliciousness if he wasn't first angry. So I think wrath and malice are essentially anger that has, let, that has become out of control um, in our life. Um, anger is not as easy for us to deny as wrath and malice is. Now at the end of today's message, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 um, from verse 26 and following for the solution to this. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 begins with these words, Be angry, be ye angry. And can I tell you, I got that down pat. I know how to be angry. It's everything that follows those verses that throws me for a loop. It's everything that follows be angry and sin not. Well, God, I struggle right there. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I struggle right there. So I got to be an angry part. I don't need no help getting angry, all right? It's everything that follows that. So we're going to look at that at the close of the message this morning as part of the cure for anger. But let's talk about what it is. I'm going to follow the same kind of pattern we followed through these other vices. What is anger? Webster says this, that anger is a feeling of displeasure resulting from injury, mistreatment, opposition, etc., and usually showing itself in a desire to fight back at the supposed cause of this feeling. Now look at that definition for just a, just a few minutes. The first part of that definition says that anger is an emotion. It's a feeling of displeasure because of some injury that you sustained, some mistreatment that came your way, some kind of opposition that rose up against you. It's a feeling. And there ain't anything inherently sinful about a feeling. It's the second part of the definition that gets us in trouble. I think it's okay when somebody has done us wrong, we ought to feel a displeasure. When we have suffered an injustice, when anybody suffers an injustice, y'all not to feel good about the injustice itself. So the feeling is all right, but it's the second part that gets us in trouble when it shows a desire to fight back against whatever we think or suppose or perceived that hurt us. God gets angry. Let me give you some passages of Scripture that let us know that God gets angry. Psalm chapter 7, verse 11 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm chapter 85 and verse 4, the psalmist asks that God would cause his anger towards them to cease. He recognized that God was justifiably angry at them for their sinful ways. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus looked at some people and the Bible says that Jesus looked around about him with anger. Because it grieved him to see their hearts being so hard toward the truth. They didn't, want him to, they didn't want him to heal that man because it was the Sabbath day. And it angered Jesus that his word had become so twisted and perverted and their hearts had become so hard that they didn't want a healing to take place on the Sabbath day. And then when you go to John chapter 2 verse 15... You've got Jesus going into the temple and seeing people that were buying and selling and taking advantage of others. And the injustice and greed that had become part of the temple worship made Jesus angry enough that he platted him together a scourge of cords and a whip and turned over tables and drove them out of the temple. He was angry. God gets angry. A just and holy and righteous 
God gets angry. I stumbled across this quote from, I don't know who this guy is, but I thought it was a very good observation. Dr. David Simmons said this, Anger is a divinely implanted emotion. God gave us the ability to feel anger. It is closely allied to our instinct for right. It is designed to be used, and I think this is important, for constructive spiritual purposes. The person who cannot feel anger at evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm for good. If you cannot hate wrong, it is very questionable whether you really love righteousness. I think that's a good observation. We ought to get angry over offenses, over injustices, over wrongdoings. It's what we do after that that becomes the problem. God's anger and God's wrath even. If God gets angry and then pours out his wrath, and, and essentially that's some of what Jesus did in the temple. He got angry over what he saw, the injustice and the greed, and then he, and then he had some, some righteous indignation that resulted in his wrath being meted out that he took a whip and run some folks out and threw their, money, threw their tables over and just drove them out of the temple. But when God gets angry, and even when wrath follows his anger, it's always justified and right. But that ain't the case with us. Our anger is not always justified, and the way that our anger pours itself out is not always right. And even when our anger is right, because of our sinful nature that grabs a hold of that sometimes, it can degenerate into sinful attitudes and actions. And I don't, you know, this may be a bad way to illustrate it, but and, and it hadn't happened in years. But I know back in the late '80s, early '90s, there were some some people who professed to be Christians who who so hated abortion, and we ought to hate abortion. We ought to be angry about the murder of the innocent. That ought to anger us. But some of those folks took matters into their own hands and began to kill abortion doctors and, and blow up abortion clinics and things of that nature. And, and the danger of us getting that mindset that our anger is justified and whatever flows out of that is justified will lead us to go in contradiction to God's word when he says vengeance is his and that we ought to leave that in God's hands. That we ought to See, the Bible says this, that God knows how to save the righteous and to reserve the unjust for the day of punishment. That's in God's hands. That's not our business to go out and right every wrong in the world by taking matters into our own hands. Our anger, although it might be righteous, will, can quickly degenerate and produce some rotten fruit in our life if we don't keep a check on it. Um, James chapter 120 says this, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So we've got to be careful about letting that anger turn into wrath because that wrath itself will not work the way that God intended it to work uh, in this world. Now, how do we differentiate? Because obviously this is kind of like pride. I told you when we studied pride that there's a good kind of pride. Pride in taking, taking pride in what you do and doing it well and uh, a sense of pride in a work ethic. And, and you know, in that sense, there's a... There's a good pride. And in one sense, there's a good anger. 
But in another sense, that anger can quickly degenerate. So how do you differentiate between, between sinful anger and righteous anger? That's what we're going to call it. Between sinful anger and righteous anger, how do we differentiate? And, I, and, and this is the best way I know to do that is to ask ourselves a question. Would what made us angry make God angry? Would the, would the thing that I got angry about make God angry as well? And that's, that's where you begin to draw the line between what can be considered righteous and justified anger and unrighteous and sinful anger. And, 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 and what I believe is that most of the anger in our life that is sinful is also anger that is very personal. And it's not necessarily something God would be angry about. It's just something that made us angry in a very personal way. A few categories I think that would fall into. If, if, you've got a, if we have a lot of pride, we're going to be easy to get angry. Because all somebody's got to do is come along and bust our ego. All somebody's got to do is come along and say, um, you didn't do that well, or you didn't do that right, or I don't like the way that you did that. And all of a sudden, we're angry because our pride, our ego has been wounded. That's not, that. God, listen, God ain't angry because our ego got wounded. God ain't angry because somebody hurt our pride. Um, having very little patience makes us a target for sinful anger. I wasn't even going to share this with you, but I am. Y'all saw the post. I admitted it, I, I, although I was kind of proud of it at the time, but I ain't proud of it anymore. We went through Cade's Cove on vacation. I didn't know you could get road rage in Cade's Cove, but I had road rage. It did, I don't know if y'all have ever been to Cade's Cove. It's a one-lane road that goes 11 miles around some beautiful farming community. Everything in it was ugly to me before I got to the end of it. I didn't want to look at another field, another tree, another deer, another bear, another squirrel, another crow. I didn't want nothing. And I, I, there was a fellow behind me that was worse than I was, but he was rooting me on. He was hollering out the window, get out of the way, boy! blowing the horn. And he said, don't you blow that horn. Four hours to go around Cade's Cove. I fi we finally, about halfway through the trip, realized what the whole battle was is the mama bear and a cub was sitting right next to the road, and people were stopping and getting out of their cars and taking 400 pictures of the same bear. Listen, I saw a bear cub right towards the end of our trip that I didn't even point to. I said, I saw, I, I told Cindy, I said, I just saw a little bear cub stand up over there, but I ain't telling nobody. Even though we was the lead car. I knew that man about four cars back was going to go postal in a few minutes, so I wasn't about to stop him for another bear. I'm like, we got to get out of here. And I, 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 before I, we left, I'm like, Cade's Cove, I'm sorry. I've seen you for the last time. I'm, it, I'm, it's over for me. I can't do that again. Now, what was wrong with me? I had run completely out of patience. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe God was as mad as I was. Now, I think, I think there were some folks being inconsiderate, which might be a reason for some justified anger. But I was just mad for myself. I'll be honest with you. I don't care if everybody else in that place was stuck in line as long as I wasn't stuck in it. 
harboring a lack of pardon. When we refuse to let something go, it can brew, create a spirit of bitterness and anger in us. When we harbor a lack of pardon to somebody else's offense. And here's the truth about it. Sometimes people don't even know they offended us. Sometimes, sometimes the, the folks that we're angry and brewing and, 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 and just our spirit will not settle down, they don't even have a clue that they did anything to us. But we just brew on it. And, and, it'll, and it'll degenerate into a sinful anger. And then the last thing that I thought about was just becoming hard because of somebody continuing to persecute you. Hardness from a long persecution. Which blooms into hatred of the people that are persecuting you. Now, the best way I know to illustrate this, I don't know if any of y'all read, Columbine's been over a long time ago, so some of you may not even remember what happened at Columbine. Those two young boys went in that school and killed so many. 1920 kids died, or 1920 folks. But I, but if you if you looked at the whole Columbine story or read the book about Columbine, you saw that that, that some of what those kids were journaling, they were journaling about um, what people had said and done to them through the years. They got mocked and ridiculed and put down and bullied and and eventually that anger just exploded. And they were they literally had no conscience. They laughed as they were taking people's lives. That was and I'm not justifying what they did. It, you can't justify it. It's sinful anger. It's because they had been long, but it almost does make you s- sympathize with them that they kept getting persecuted, they kept getting bullied, and then that finally just exploded in a in a, a fury of wrath and took some other people down. Now, of, of those four different categories of what I think would qualify as sinful anger. The only one that really is going to make God angry is, I mean, we can get angry for any of those reasons. The only one that I really think God may get angry along with us is that that we've been long persecuted. And the Bible talks about what's going to happen to those who have long persecuted Christians. In fact, there's some martyrs in Revelation chapter 5 says, when you're going to avenge us of our blood for the persecution that we endured, and God said a little while, just a little while. He was angry about their persecution as well, but there was a time set for the restitution. So even if, it's, even if God was angry about the long persecution that we may have endured, vengeance and wrath belong to Him. Vengeance and wrath belong to Him. He's told us that in His Word because it's too easy for our anger to become sinful and for innocent people to get hurt in that process. What does sinful anger do to us? How does it manifest itself? I didn't come up with this list um, in studying for this. Psychology actually has discovered ways that anger manifests itself in people. Some of these girls that are ladies and maybe some men here too that have counseling degrees, I'm sure they've probably seen this at some time. But psychology has, has identified four different ways that people manifest anger in their life. The first is, the, is what they call the maniac this is the one that just explodes. It's uncontained rage. And, and that can be expressed either 
either verbally or physically. They just come out swinging at anybody and everybody that gets in their way because anger has been allowed to settle in their heart and they just explode like a maniac. The second is the mute, the imploder, the one that gets angry and just lets it simmer inside like a pressure cooker, just building and building and building and building. And usually what happens is the person that is the, um, is the, the, the imploder the one who brews inside till it becomes a pressure cooker then becomes the exploder. So you've got the maniac, you've got the mute who is, has a silent rage that's trapped inside of himself. And then you've got the martyr, um, the one who inflicts pain on himself because of the pain of the anger that he feels because of pain that other people have inflicted. Um, anger that that pities oneself to the point of self-loathing. Now, I'm thinking back to the illustration of the Columbine shooters. All these, these kids went through these different phases of anger. Um, from they, they were maybe endured it in a silent rage for a little while, like the mute, and then they, they kept it bottled up inside themselves, even inflicting themselves with pain, and then they exploded in their wrath towards others. And then there's the manipulator. That's the one who exploits. And here's what, here's what that looks like most of the time, is that you get angry because somebody else has offended or hurt or, or opposed you in some kind of way. And then you, rather than an outright verbal physical assault, it's more of a subtle assault that you go around behind them and begin to sow discord in the hearts of others to make them angry with you at that person. It's generally where gossip comes from. It's where slander comes from. It's, a, it's one that takes the situation of his anger and exploits it to come around in a roundabout way and, and try to destroy the one who made him angry. Now, I think those are good. I think they have described a lot of what I've experienced in my own life personally. But let me tell you about all, of, all four of those things. Not one of them glorifies God. And not one of them does me any good or you any good and if it don't glorify God and if it ain't doing us any good then it's, there's no reason for us to express anger in those ways and, and I, I hate to tell you I hate to admit it but I can see where I failed in all four ways where anger has manifested itself in my life just like that list. And sometimes it's just like a chain reaction. And it may start at the bottom and go to the top, or it may start at the top and go to the bottom, but it's like you, set all, you, it's like you light a fuse in me, and it goes from one to the other to the other. And there is nothing about it that glorifies God, and there is nothing about it that helps me. That kind of anger is dangerous. Physically, it causes us stress. It, I guarantee you, by the time I left Cades Cove, if I'd have took my blood pressure, it'd have been 150 over 250. I was about to blow my lid. It didn't help me physically. It stressed me out. Emotionally, 
it, 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 it affects our ability to think clearly. And when we can't think clearly, we hurt everybody that's around us and our relationships. I can tell you something, and I keep going back to it, but it's the freshest thing on my mind, and God kept reminding me of it when I was studying for this. I think sometimes God sets me up so that before I preach something, I understand you ain't got it all wrapped up to either, buddy. So that I don't find myself just preaching to you and not understanding that I got something to work on. I think maybe God said, to, he said, hey, bear, go stand by that tree. <laughs> so I can show this preacher that he ain't got his anger completely rooted out of his life. But I can tell you something, Cindy was miserable. I had her at the point she just wanted to get out of the truck and walk. I apologized to her. I don't know if she accepted my apology or not. <laughs> and that thing simmered in me for a day. I mean, I, it was eating me up. We got riding home. A car spun around on the, in, the, in the Smoky Mountain Parkway in front of Zeb. Zeb almost hit him in the side. He, the guy just turned around in front of him in the middle of the road. One of them turnouts on the other side. So I was unbuckling my seatbelt, rolling the window down. And Cindy said, don't you get out of this truck. Roll the wind up. Now, I don't know who was in that minivan. It could have been Arnold Schwarzenegger. I might have toted me a tail whipping if I had got out, but I was ready to scrap. And we, I rolled the window back up, and we went on a little further, and Cindy said, I think you might need to get your testosterone checked. It's through the roof. <laughs> I don't think we said a whole lot after that all the way home. <laughs> Anger will mess you up emotionally and make you, it'll ruin the people that are, that are immediately connected with you that don't even deserve that anger. And, I, and, and this, this is the primary concern for all of us as Christians is that spiritually it hinders our intimacy with Christ and gives the devil a foothold in our life. That's why the scriptures warn us against it. Let me run down this list real quick. Then we're going to get the solution. Psalm chapter 37 verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Proverbs 14, 17. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Proverbs 16, 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man thou shalt not go. Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. James chapter 1, verse 19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So what's the cure for anger? If you go back and look at those last two verses that I read to you, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8 and James chapter 1 and verse 19, there are some words that stand out there. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. And then James chapter 1, verse 19, be slow to speak, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. 
Look at those words. Be not hasty. Be slow. Be not hasty to be angry. Be slow to anger. And I think if, if you look at what those words point us to, they point us to what I believe is the virtue that will help us get over sinful anger. In fact, the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8 calls that virtue by name. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. That word patience. Don't be hasty to anger. Be slow to speak and slow to wrath. Both of those speak of awaiting. They point us to patience. Instead of being quickly, easily angered, we have to cultivate the, the virtue of patience in our life. So let me close by just talking about patience for just a few minutes. There are actually two primary words in the Greek New Testament that are translated patience. And I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to try to pronounce the two words. But, but the two Greek words that are translated patience mean this, long-suffering and forbearing and enduring and continuing. And that's specifically enduring and continuing in Christ. Be long-suffering, and I think the first one probably is more appropriate to the word that we want to use, but the other one applies as well. Be long-suffering and forbearing, and be enduring and continuing in your relationship with Christ. Now, part of patience is waiting. Part of patience is waiting. <laughs> but it's doing, it's what we do while we wait that helps us cultivate that patience. Does that make sense? See, see, here's the thing. When I'm sitting in that line in Cades Cove, I know you're tired of hearing about it. When I'm sitting there doing nothing, my thermometer kept going higher and higher and higher. But, but if I had been patiently waiting and engaging myself in something else, whether it was trying to come up with a way to entertain the grandkids, getting turning the radio on to some praise and worship music, <laughs> spending some time in dialogue with my wife about our life and about God's blessings in our life and His goodness towards us. Any number of things could have helped turn the temperature down. On, and be all, and I, and I was completely in the flesh. I didn't want the temperature turned down. I was cranking it on up, and I had some folks behind it that was rooting me on, and some folks in front of me that was rooting me on. Be not hasty to engage with other folks that are angry, but listen to me. It part part of patience is waiting, but it's the doing while we wait that'll help us the most. So, what is a Christian? do while he waits what does what does christian patience do while it waits because anger isn't sinful in and of itself standing alone anger is not sinful it's an emotion it's something that we're feeling it's the expression of that emotion that we have to bring under control so if we're going to be patient it's the expression of that patience that matters the most we can't just wait and do nothing we've got to wait and do something while we wait. That's the only thing that takes our mind away from the subject that's making us angry. Do you understand where I'm going? If you, if you just sit in silence, you've done this in the doctor's office. When you had an appointment at 10 and it's 11, and you're still in the waiting room, 
You're getting madder by the minute. What you got to do, you got to engage in something or your mind will keep settling on your clock. And you'll get madder. So it's what you do while you wait that matters. Y'all remember the Incredible Hulk? Dr. David Banner was his name, right? He said, please don't make me angry. You know I don't like me when I'm angry. And here's the truth. He didn't want to be angry. He didn't want to be angry. And if you remember that, that, whole, that whole plot line, when he wasn't the Incredible Hulk tearing people's head off and tearing stuff down, he was looking for a cure. And in fact, that's how the show ended every week. He was, even though his, his anger was, dig, was, was justified in many ways and, and, and whoever he was after may have deserved what they got, He's like, I don't like myself when I'm angry, and you ain't going to like me when I'm angry. I need to get a handle on I need to find the cure. So what do we do while we wait? What practices can we engage in to cultivate patience in our life? I'm not going to stay right here. I'm not going to preach every one of these points, but I do want you to read the Scripture with me. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. We're going to read through verse 26 through chapter 5, verse 2. I'm going to make one point about every verse, and we're going to be done. I told you, verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. I got to being angry down pat. I ain't got to sin and not down pat. But what does he say after sin not? Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What does that mean? Let it go. Let it go. It ain't worth what you're fixing to, what you're fixing to put into it. Let it go. Overlook. Defer. Is, the, is what Proverbs chapter 19. Let it go. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Shut the door because you're about to let the devil gain a foothold in your life. Y'all remember, remember when Cain and Abel? The Bible says this, that Cain was angry because Abel's sacrifice was accepted and his was not. And God came to Cain and said, listen, are, are, is your anger justified? Why are you mad at your brother because I accepted his sacrifice and I didn't accept yours? He brought the right thing. All you got to do is bring the right thing. Don't bring me the work of your hands. Bring me an animal sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, it's impossible. There is no remission of sin. And you know what God told him? If you do well, you'll be accepted. But if you let this anger seethe in you, sin's laying at the door. If, if, we don't, if we don't get ourselves occupied by shutting the door on the devil, we give him a foothold in our life. Verse 28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let it go. Shut the door on the devil. Get busy doing something good. Get busy doing something productive. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Put a bridle on your tongue. That may be one of the first things we need to do when we get angry. Put a bridle on our tongue. Don't let corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. Y'all, I probably told you a story before about the, the little kid that sold the lawnmower to the preacher for $20. Preacher thought it was a good deal, and he's trying to help the little boy out. Look like he's trying to, you know, start his life as a salesman. And the preacher took the lawnmower home, and the thing wouldn't crank. He pulled it, pulled it, pulled it, and it wouldn't crank. 
He went back to the little boy or run into him on the street one day, and he said, son, you sold me a lawnmower for $20. It won't work. He said, it'll run, preacher. He said, I forgot to tell you, you got to cuss it. When you cuss it, it'll crank. He said, son, I hadn't cussed in 20 years. He said, keep pulling it. It'll come back to you. <laughs> got to bridle that tongue. Got to bridle the tongue. Verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Man, that one hurt me. That one hurt me. Because I ain't gotten, I don't have any doubt in my mind that the anger that I got on vacation grieved the Spirit of God. Why? Because it affected some people around me negatively. Affected me negatively. Instead of grieving the Spirit of God, yield to God's Spirit and like, look, it ain't this ain't it ain't worth this. It ain't worth this. Let it go. Shut the door on the devil. Occupy yourself doing something good. Bridle your tongue. Yield to God's Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Crucify the old man. Verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Extend mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because we have been extended mercy and forgiveness. How many of y'all ever held anybody else up? You are in front of them, they are behind you. I, uh, I got mad folks doing the same thing I've done to them. Many of you ever accidentally pulled out in front of somebody? I was finna beat that boy that pulled out in front of the Zeb, or try. I've done the same stuff, not paying attention, not realizing somebody's right there. They lay on the horn, give you this one finger salute, and you know what? God's been merciful and gracious to me. I've got to be merciful and gracious to others. Crucify the old man, extend mercy and forgiveness. Verses five, chapter five, verse one and two. Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, walk in love, as Christ also have loved us. Given us himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Love others like Jesus loved us. And you know what? I'm going to be honest. Jesus puts up with me a lot of times. He is forbearing. He is patient. He is forgiving. And if you'll be honest, sometimes he just puts up with you too. And what he's called us to do with each other, sometimes just forbear. Do what he does. In fact, the Bible says if we don't show mercy, we won't receive any mercy. Now listen to me. I'm done. Ultimately, here's where patience, here's where our patience rests in. And hear me out. Here's where your patience rests in. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is going to one day right every wrong and settle every debt. But let me qualify that by saying this. He's going to right every wrong and settle every debt that really matters. And I'm convinced he don't care that I spent four hours in Cade's Cove. Don't nobody owe me nothing. <laughs> in fact, he probably said, if you settle down and look out the window, you'd see some beauty out there to praise me for. But the rights and the, the wrongs that have been done against us are either going to be covered in the blood of the Lamb 
or be settled by the wrath of the lion. We got to wait. Vengeance belongs to God. Doesn't belong to us. So, this whole series has helped me see that there's some vices in my life need to be rooted out. And there's some virtues that I need to plant consistently in their place. And this ain't no secret because I've told you this for years. One of the things that I have struggled with the most in my Christian life is anger. And I hate it about me. My daddy's middle name was Thamar. T-H-A-M-A-R. Some of his classmates told me in school that they called him Thermometer. Because they said, we could tell when you made your daddy mad because of red would start going up his face. I think I inherited it. I think Zeb's got it. I think Zate might have a touch of it. And he goes from zero to 100. It's, it, it may be part of my personality, but it's part of what God wants to root out of my life. Now, I'm better than I used to be. But I ain't where I need to be. I ain't where I want to be. And I think it's important for us as believers not to live in denial. Because when, when we live in denial, we won't ever deal with the vice. But when we recognize it in our life, we can confess it. We can forsake it. We can pledge ourselves to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can mature and when we do that, we root that out of our lives and replant something different. I've learned this week the value of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, through chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. There are some things that I can do while I wait that will cultivate the virtue of patience in my life. And that's what I've got to do if I'm going to overcome the anger. Let's stand together as our musicians come. Lord, I, I'm grateful for these folks, for their patience with me in preaching, and for their patience with me as their pastor. I'm most definitely a work in progress. And although we've laughed a little about it this morning, God, I'm frankly, I'm ashamed of the way that I behave sometimes. And what my anger does to me. There isn't anything in that that glorifies you. And there isn't anything in that that makes me a better husband or a father or a Christ follower. I admit that this morning. And I, in all sincerity, Lord, I pray that you would first forgive me. And then I pray that you'd help me. The Apostle Paul talked about how it was necessary for him to exercise discipline in his own life lest after he had preached to others he himself would become a castaway and I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is a part of my life that I really need to exercise some discipline in I don't want to be a maniac I don't want to be that silent imploder I don't want to be that martyr that inflicts loathing on myself and I certainly don't want to be guilty of that manipulation where I go around behind other folks' back and try to hurt them. 
that doesn't help me or them or glorify you. So root it out, God, in Jesus' name. Replant something good there. I know, Lord, there's folks gathered here this morning. Some may not know you as their personal Savior. This hadn't been an evangelistic message, but here's the truth. They can't live the life that you desire us to live without Christ living on the inside. If I were not a Christian, I wouldn't even be convicted about my anger. If I hadn't been born of the Spirit, it wouldn't bother me that I quenched and grieved the Spirit. The only difference in me and the lost folks out there in the world is my sins have been covered by the blood and I don't like to live in it anymore. And so if there's one here this morning that's lost, don't know Christ is our personal Savior. The changes that need to take place in their life start with Him. They need to be forgiven. They need to be redeemed. They need to be regenerated by His Spirit before they can ever root out the vice and plant the virtue. And so bring them to that place of repentance and faith this morning. I just simply bring them to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, do what you do. Convict and convince and then convert. And we'll praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name.
every every morning there are new mercies. Every day, great is your faithfulness, Lord. I do pray that you would, every day of our lives, make us new. I know that there's, a, there's something that happens when we're born again, that we become new creatures in Christ Jesus, and all, all the old things are passed away, and all things do become new. But we need a daily renewing of our hearts, of our minds, of our commitment to you. And so I pray that you'd help us to begin to just walk in that. As, as Paul said in Romans chapter 6, that, that we've been crucified with Christ and risen in him and, and help us each one to walk in the newness of the life that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the attention and the uh, attentiveness, Lord, the, um, the people that are here this morning. I pray your word take a lodging place in our heart that we can come back, Lord. We may not have needed it today, but there's a pretty good chance somewhere, somehow this week, we'll be tried in some areas um, that might stir an anger in us. I pray this message would come back and check us, Lord, um, so that we can become the followers of Christ that you would have us to be, so that he might be glorified in all that's said and done in our lives. In Jesus' name.